powerful, powerful, glorious, beautiful name of Jesus. And he is here with us by his spirit. Father, we thank you for the presence of the risen Lord among us. Open now our hearts to your word and to your truth, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Great to see you all and great to see uh, friends and family members and uh, joining together. This is my favorite day of the year. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, our musical director, Keisha, I was thinking, you know, if that gal had a little enthusiasm, she could really go somewhere. Um, anyway, thank you, uh, music team and dancers, for, for helping us express the joy that is in our heart as we celebrate and uh, express our gratitude to our wonderful God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad, normally our kids are not in, but we've got a group of kids in today, and I I am so happy for that, that they're here with us for big church uh, and staying up this week. And, you know, guys, it reminds me of, uh, of a situation that happened. And there was a pastor who had heard some reports about the Sunday school, and that some of the kids weren't really getting it. And so the pastor thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and investigate this myself. And so he went down into the children's program, and, and he went to the grade fours, and I think we got four to six here. And, and he said, okay, I have a question for you kids. And the question was this. What, uh, what is Easter? When, when do we celebrate Easter and what does it mean? What's the significance of it? And so um, little Amy put up her hand and she said, Easter's in the fall and we get uh, all in costumes and we go out and trick or treat. And the pastor thought, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe that this is happening in our church. And, uh, and so then uh, he, he thought, I'll ask another child. So he said to little Matthew, Matthew. When is Easter and what happens on Easter? And, and Matthew shot up his hand. And uh, he said, well, it's, it's in the winter and we decorate the tree and we get presents. And the pastor was really beside himself at this point. And, and he thought, well, one more time, one more try. So he said, Madeline, Madeline, tell me, when is Easter and what happens? And she said, well, Easter happens um, in, in the spring, and Jesus came out of the tomb. And he sighed a sigh of relief, and he thought, oh, that's great. And, and then added, and if he doesn't see his shadow, he goes back down in, and we have six more weeks of winter. Um, well, I know that our kids are well taught, and uh, we don't have to worry about that, but it's great to have you in big church with us just the same. This day is the apex of human history. This day, there is nothing more central to our faith than the celebration that we're enjoying this day, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Nothing is more crucial to the message of hope for us and for the world. In fact, without Easter, none of this would be, and none of us would be here today. The message of the newly minted church 
in, in uh, the time of Jesus was based on the confession that Jesus has risen from the dead. In fact, the Apostle Paul was so bold as to say in, in his letter to the Corinthians that if, if Jesus hasn't ra- been risen from the dead, then we're still, uh, then, then we are, our, our preaching would be in vain. What those of us who are pastors do and commit ourselves to this life and this calling of sharing the good news. He says if, if, if Christ isn't risen, like we're blowing smoke. It's meaningless. And, and our faith is futile. It's useless. And he says beyond that, we're still in our sins. The, the hope that we had for forgiveness is gone. And people who believed and hoped that their loved ones who've passed on before them, that that they would be safe and they would be living again. That's gone forever. They have perished. It's over. And if we hitched our wagon to Jesus and we believed and we, we followed him and we gave our life to serving him and sacrificing for him, he says that we're to be pitied among all people. We're pathetic. If you've given your life to that and it's nothing but a hoax... It all goes for naught. The Christian scholar William Lane Craig and uh, apologist made the statement, Without belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated. Even if they had continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of being the Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad and shameful end of his career. And the origin of Christianity, therefore, hinges on the belief that the early disciples had that God had raised Jesus from the dead. If we don't have that, folks, we have nothing. We are are pitiful. Now, it's interesting that Jesus repeatedly told his followers about his death and resurrection. At least five times in Matthew's gospel, he says uh, that he had to die and be raised again on the third day. I'll give you one of those examples, Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's the message. Over and over, he said it. It's interesting that they understood what he was saying too because on that occasion when Jesus said that to his disciples, Peter, who had just moments before made this declaration that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah to his people, when he hears Jesus say this, he chides him, he rebukes him. Don't you get that notion in your head, Jesus? We won't let any of that happen. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus said something really peculiar. He said to this lead disciple who just chided him because he told him he had to die and rise again. He said, uh, uh, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan. The work of Satan in him. Jesus had clearly communicated that he had to die, but that he would rise again. And, And his disciples Uh, Though they had repeated references to that. And even though the religious rulers kind of understood and got some of that. Because what happened was, they said, this guy is going to said he would rise again. Even they knew that. And so let's put a guard on the tomb so they can't have some kind of trumped up story that uh, he has risen. 
or anything like that. But the disciples had been so busy kind of posturing uh, about their major posts in, in, in Jesus, in the Messiah's administration and kingdom. Their involvement in Jesus' phenomenal celebrity left them kind of starry-eyed that they couldn't even believe that Jesus could die. That's why I think it came as such a shock, even though he was telling them repeatedly that he had to die. They were in disbelief. And when things turned badly for Jesus, uh, they abandoned him. His followers abandoned him. They could hardly wrap their minds around the whole notion that their Messiah could die. And they were fearful and in hiding. And so we have here in a tomb on Friday... Jesus safely tucked away. And in Matthew 28 that was read for us, uh, Jesus who was in the grave and on the Saturday before there was just silence. It was the Sabbath. So nobody is going anywhere. And early, early on that first morning, the, uh, the women who loved Jesus so deeply, who held him in such high regard, wanted to come and do something very special for him. What they wanted to do was to anoint the body of Jesus, which had already been prepared. But they wanted to do some dignity to the dead and uh, decaying body of Jesus. And when they came to the tomb, they expected Jesus to be right there where they found him, where they left him two days, three days earlier. Because as we all know, dead people don't move. They were certain that his presence would be there. They were overcome by grief. Uh, they, they came to show deep affection and love for him and to express their sorrow. And so they come with their concerns. And one of their concerns is, how are we going to get access to the tomb? We can't move that huge big stone. Somebody's going to have to do that. And then we'll do our act of love for Jesus' body. But when they got there, they found out that the stone had actually been rolled away. In fact, there had been an earthquake, and it rolled the stone away. There's an angel there, and he's sitting on the stone. And when they arrive there, the angel engages them. This sight of this angel was so terrifying to them that the guards who were set to watch over the tomb fainted. Uh, there they were, all laying on the ground. And uh, the stone was rolled away, not because Jesus needed to get out. Because Jesus could get out. Jesus could just go through it. It was there so people could go in and see that there, in fact, was an empty tomb. That there was, there was no Jesus in there. There was no body in there. And, and so the soldiers who were charged with guarding the tomb, when they're confronted by the angels, shook like leaves. And when they came to, they beat it out of there. They were to keep Jesus' body from being stolen. They were to guard that body so that there'd be no possibility of faking that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But you can't contain Jesus. You can't control Jesus. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is Almighty God, the Son, and he said of himself that he had the power to raise himself. Do you realize that not only did God raise him, he raised himself to life. They didn't need the stone rolled away. 
they needed to be able to witness the empty tomb. And so here come these poor women. And they're, uh, they're so love Jesus so deeply and, and loyally and faithfully and they're absolutely heartbroken. And they don't believe until they're told by the angel that Jesus, the, whom they're looking for, is not there. He's risen just as he told you and told you and told you and told you. And the disciples, when they get wind of this, they didn't believe either. Peter and James and John and the twelve, they didn't get it. And even Thomas was there one, uh, Thomas was not there once when Jesus came and presented himself to, the, uh, to his uh, disciples. And Thomas said, unless I see with my own eyes, unless I put my, hand, my finger into the, hand, the, uh, the wound in his hand and in his side, I will not believe, although everybody else had said so. And when the women told them initially, their response was, crazy women, what's the matter with them? This couldn't have happened. They saw the empty tomb and they were confused. I don't know, when I read these cases of what happened in the Gospels, I I get kind of frustrated. I I think, you stupid people, what's the matter with you? From our vantage point, they look, you know, so faithless and whatnot until I look at my own life and understand that there can be faithlessness in my life. And here they are. They came and were told numerous times. They affirmed uh, his identity as Messiah. They said, we believe you're the Messiah. They witnessed his miracles, even his raising of people from the dead. But when they were confronted with the death of the Savior, they suffered from an acute case of amnesia. They're not remembering at all. They're not believing or trusting Grief can do that kind of thing to you. It can make your outlook so dark and disappointment so deep and it can bury hope. And there was no hope. Their hope was crushed when Jesus died. It was inconceivable. And maybe it's kind of self-protection that they do. Uh, maybe it's, it's not wanting to be disappointed again and again and so to protect themselves they can't even think of that. And I suppose all of us need a certain amount of pessimism at times because if we didn't have that, uh, we would be given to be uh, pray, falling prey to hucksters and, and people who cheat. But you can become so negative and you can become so pessimistic that you can miss out on God's good things because you don't think it could happen. You live with a mindset that there's no place for the supernatural, or that kind of stuff would never happen to me. And the angel addresses the women, don't be afraid. Of course they were fearful. An angel is a fearsome, fearsome creature, glowing in white. Uh, and, and so he says, don't be afraid. I know who you're looking for. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Did you forget? What he said would happen. And of course God is not restricted. And the angel invites them. Come and investigate. Come and look at the tomb. And they come and see the place where Jesus lay. And they check it out. And they they look at the evidence. Let me ask you a question. Have you looked at the evidence? 
Have you considered the evidence for Jesus Christ who raised from the dead? You've, at the heart of the Christian message, is this, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again to life the third day. See, there was an empty tomb there and they try and, and discuss or, or dismiss the empty tomb. There were his grave clothes undisturbed in the place of the burial. You know, when Jesus was buried, they take a, a, a process of taking about linen, about a foot in width, and they anoint the body with different uh, ointments and with different um, kind of powders, and they wrap the body and put more in each successive wrapping. And when they went in and found the, the grave clothes, there they were perfectly. There's the headpiece sitting there, and there's the rest of the, the grave clothes lying there. Jesus just went through it. If that were stolen, there would be stuff all over. It would be messy. And, and uh, that didn't make sense at all. And then there was the pathetic attempt of writing off the empty tomb with a story concocted by the religious leaders. The tomb was sealed. It had the governor's seal on it. There was probably some cord across there. And it was um, uh, sealed on either side, perhaps with some, with some wax in all likelihood. Um, and, and the tomb being sealed and a garrison of soldiers put there to guard so that nobody would try and disrupt that and steal the body and propagate some kind of conception that Jesus was raised from the dead. But their failure to protect and to secure the thing was punishable by death. I mean, if that's what you were given, I mean, here are, here are hardened, tough, battle-tested, trained soldiers who are protecting this site and when they, of course, they couldn't protect it and keep it. The angel came and they were fearful and they took off and left and they went to speak to the religious leaders. The soldiers had been immobilized. The one thing that they had to do is just for three days make sure that the body wasn't disturbed or stolen away. And that story. Uh, they went to the religious leaders, and the religious leaders gave them a large sum of money. They didn't even, they didn't even dismiss that Jesus could have raised, been raised from the dead. They just said, here, we're going to give you a lot of money. You be quiet, and uh, we'll protect you. Uh, because if, if they were given an assignment and they blew it, they lost their lives. And, and so the story was concocted. The, 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 dice, the disciples came and stole the body away while we were sleeping. If you were sleeping, how do you know it was his disciples? And if you were sleeping and they had to move this big rock and it took a pile of people to do it, then that makes no sense either. The training and the discipline they had dictates that that could never happen. They couldn't move the stone without uh, waking uh, the uh, uh, the, the, the soldiers, their failure would result in death. So, this, so they have this half-cocked story, and they said, we'll, look, we'll protect you. Just, just say this is what happens, and that continued to be said. But there were eyewitnesses, too. The women who first came, and Peter, and all the disciples 
and a group, uh, uh, James, and a group of followers that were in excess of 500 people, all at one time saw Jesus. He was seen by all of these people. All of the scriptures in the New Testament, all the writers affirm in the Gospels, every Gospel affirms that Jesus rose again. In the Acts, uh, the central message of the early church was that Jesus had been resurrected. In the letters of Paul and Peter and John and Jude and James and Hebrews and in the Revelation, Jesus Christ is resurrected. It, It fills the whole New Testament. And even the way it was told... Was, was telling. Uh, because if you tried to convince others of the truthfulness of this, it wouldn't have worked well. For one thing, in their day, a woman couldn't testify in court. And so to have your very first witnesses to this event being women, that's not something that you would write in, ancient, uh, in an ancient document if you were trying to support that. Not only that, all of the followers of Jesus failed him miserably, and they're shown for their failure and and their misunderstanding and their faithlessness. Now, if you're trying to launch a a, a whole movement, you wouldn't be using those kind of examples. You would edit that kind of stuff out and make them all look good and believing, but that's not what the Bible does. It it doesn't deny them uh, of who they were and what they did. And on top of that, there was even um, historical references. A guy by the name of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, one who had uh, no particular sympathy for Christians, and he was writing in the first century for Romans, and he was uh, wanting to please his Roman audience, and he wrote about these events. And in the first century, he wrote about Jesus who appeared alive to his disciples three days after his death. Even in historical documents, it is uh, posted. But one of the most powerful testimonies that I can think of that happened is what happened to the early disciples. You see, when the early disciples were there, they were, they were uh, every one of them, flops. Every one of them failures. Every one of them didn't believe. Uh, Every one of them. uh, Here is Peter, the leader of the disciples, and he is denying that he even knows Jesus when he's confronted by a young servant girl. He begins to curse and swear, I've never known the man. They were hiding. They were behind locked doors on this weekend, and certainly afraid of the Jews who killed Jesus that their life would be in danger. But what happens in the heart of enemy territory, when they see the resurrected Jesus Christ, they begin to propagate that message. They begin to go into the public square and talk about it. They go to the, the uh, uh, temple uh, precincts, and there they're telling. And, and now they're going to stand up and defy the religious leaders who, when they catch them, preaching about Jesus, hauled them all in before their ruling council and said, don't you dare speak any more about him or in his name. They say, look it, sorry, respectfully, we've got to obey God and not you. So it doesn't matter what you do to us, you're not going to shut us up. So they go right back out and they start speaking about Jesus and his resurrection. And, And what happens was they haul them in and they beat them and they warn them Don't you ever let this happen again. And you know what they did? 
they went away and they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. You see, you couldn't stop them. And of the 12, uh, of the 12 apostles, tradition has it that only one of them lived into old age. The, all the rest of them died as martyrs. I'm telling you, there was such a change in these people that you can't, you can't make any sense of it except that they really believed with all their heart that Jesus had raised from the dead and they were willing to give their life for that. This was no hoax. This was the truth. And they left a legacy, a legacy of the church that spread around the world People who had experienced the presence and the power of the risen Jesus Christ. People of every race and color and tribe and on every continent and every nationality and from every economic and social and intellectual strata believed that Jesus Christ lived, died, and is alive forevermore. And millions upon millions upon millions of people have staked their life on that and have become followers of Jesus Christ, affirming the veracity of the resurrection accounts. It's interesting that a chief justice in London, England, by the name of Lord Darling, stated this when he looked at, uh, from a legal standpoint, uh, the, the position of the resurrection of Jesus. He said this, it is, it is a favor, um, Um, In its favor, as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no uh, intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring a verdict that the resurrection story is true. It's true, and we know it. And the women are presented with the evidence, and they believe. And as they're leaving... Uh, Jesus meets them. And they fall down and grasp him by the feet and worship him. They believed and they had encountered the risen Jesus. And he allayed all their fears. Don't be afraid. Greetings. And here they are. Go and tell my disciples that I'll meet them in Galilee. Jesus is alive. It verifies who he claimed he was. In everything that Paul said, if he's not risen, then you're wasting your time. But because Jesus is alive, his promises are reliable. And our preaching is useless. And the good news changes lives. And our faith is not futile, but it's meaningful. And we give our lives for it. And our sins are forgiven. And God has accepted us and brought us into his family. And people who died in faith are not gone forever. They're with God. And we'll be with them again if we also put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we haven't wasted our life, a life that is given to serving and following Jesus Christ. And we can have a right relationship with God. And God, through Jesus, has conquered sin and evil and death. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Jesus must reign until he puts down all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. He conquered death. No one had ever done that. No great leader, no religious figure has ever uh, come back to life. Jesus alone has done that. He triumphed over death and he gives victory 
to all of his people. And I want to tell you as a pastor, I've had the sad occasion of sitting many times beside a person's bed uh, at the point that they're leaving this world. Um, I've conducted funerals for scores and scores of people. And it's something to see a person who is near to death, but is full of faith, who knows that there is a risen Savior that has conquered death, that has such confidence and peace. I'll never forget Margaret, uh, a woman in, in one of my churches, in the last stages of battling with cancer. And I sat with her in hospital and talked to her. And she said, oh, pastor, it's so close. I'm going to be going home. What a beautiful sense of of consolation and comfort she had and what a comfort it was for me. In the interment at graveside, uh, so often standing with a family that is hurting and broken, saying goodbye to a loved one before we lower that body into the ground. And the words of First Corinthians in First Corinthians come so strongly in the chapter that Paul talks about the resurrection. And he says this with defiance and, and with indignation and filled with hope. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In this sad moment, you have no power over us because God and Jesus, Jesus Christ gained victory over death. He defeated the last enemy, death, and we will live forever and death has no permanent power over us Jesus conquered the grave and he rose and everyone who is a follower of his will come to life with him and so we stand at a sad and sober time but yet filled with hope at the graveside of our loved ones knowing that they're safe and we will be with them forever So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, today is the greatest day and we rejoice. And I think you you sense the power of that uh, celebration and what we believe. But some of us may be here who say, you know what? I used to follow Jesus Christ. I used to walk with him. But I've slipped away. And it's been months or years and years I want to say to you, maybe this is a time for you to come back to him, to come back to that living Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you have never opened your heart to embrace and follow Jesus Christ. I want you to know he's here, and he's speaking through his word into your life. He wants you to know that he's alive, and that he's conquered death, and that he opens his arms to you. And, And I want to invite you to investigate just as the angel said, come, come and see, come and check it out. I invite you to investigate, maybe to begin uh, a, a, uh, a path of looking into the Christian faith. Maybe even this next Wednesday when we run Alpha, you say, hey, I, I'm going to come and, and check that out. We invite you to do that. And uh, my prayer is that like the Roman centurion who saw everything that was happening with Jesus, a man who had witnessed Multiple, multiple deaths because he put people to death himself. When he saw everything that was happening and saw Jesus, he said, surely this is the Son of God. 
And my prayer is that if you've not yet experienced the, the presence and power of Jesus in your life, that you would open your heart to him, that you would put your faith in him, and that he would become your savior and your Lord, and you would be able to trust him and walk with him all the years of your life. And when you've experienced the risen Christ, I want you to know that it is so marvelous that there is nothing that compares with that. And he is here, and he invites us to come. And, and I'm going to ask the, uh, the music team to come up. And uh, we want to finish with just a great affirmation of our faith. But I want you to know that if some of this is new to you, we would be happy to help you journey in investigating and, and coming to understand um, who this Jesus Christ is and what it is to have a relationship with him. And my prayer is uh, that you might find what so many people have found when they've encountered the risen Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus is alive, that he's conquered death, that he loves us, that he cares for us. And Father, I pray that you would, in a, in, in a beautiful way, affirm that in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, those of us who need to just be reminded of that, that it's your resurrection power in our life. Uh, Father, for those who have wandered away, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would gently bring them back to yourself. And for those who have not yet experienced, Lord, I pray that their heart would be open and they would, they would know what it is to have a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ by putting their faith and trust in the one who died for their sins and rose again. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.